Welcome to season five of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life back into your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate, and I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast, where we can face the challenges of this lifestyle together. We're marching home. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers, coming to you from Texas. And we have now PCS to enter in a new place. And we moved from Kansas, where everything was on lockdown and no COVID cases at all, on post to now being in the hotbed of COVID, which is lots of fun. And I'm pretty sure starting this week, Texas is going to lock down again. So yay for all of the changes. I'm sure wherever you are, you're having a variety of things happening with COVID and just our culture. You know, I mean this in the most humorous way that I, I said to Sarah earlier, who's joining me, I'm going to introduce her in just a second. But I just feel like I keep saying to people, like, the world is burning. Like, I said that, like, months ago. Matt and I said that jokingly when COVID was happening. And and then it really did feel like the world was burning. And so we are all in a new place. And it's staying in a very uncomfortable place. And so um, wherever you are, I hope that you're well and you're healthy. And you are surrounded by people that are healthy, too. So we are in Season 5. And this season has been lots of fun with PCSing in the middle of it. But I've been trying to do a combination of resources and just honest conversations, which is really just what the podcast is about. And I'm really excited to bring Sarah back. Um, Sarah is a great friend of mine. I met her through the Chris Cal Frog Foundation. You probably heard Sarah at the beginning of season four when we did a roundtable discussion with Sarah being a law enforcement wife. And we had a veteran, a female veteran who was also a military spouse. And then of course, me, an active duty military spouse. And we did a great roundtable to discussion. Um, So I encourage you to go back and I'll definitely put a link in the show notes where you can go back and listen to that conversation again. I actually had Sarah on later for one of my faith-based episodes where we really talked about where is God in some of those dark places. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So we are going to just dive in. And I think what I want to do first is to just um, I'll let you introduce yourself for anybody that's new, that's listening, that maybe hasn't heard your episodes before. Sure. Yeah. So um, we have been a law enforcement family going on, gosh, I think we're at 12 years now. Um, my husband got hired um, and began the process um, about uh, six months before we were married. So we were engaged when he first started um, processing. So I say that because literally our entire married life has kind of been alongside um, going into a law enforcement career. When we got married, um, he was able to take three days off for us to take a little brief honeymoon, and then he went straight into field training. So um, he was in the academy while I was still going through college, and um, basically our life together um, as a newly married couple also began our life together as a first first responder couple. So that... um, has been an interesting journey. He was on patrol for about seven years, um, which what had met with its own challenges in the beginning of just, I did not come from a first responder or military background. No one um, I knew in my family was either of those things. Um, his father was in law enforcement, so he was a little more familiar with the lifestyle. Um, but those adjustments were hard in those early years, just the concepts 
um, of thinking that, you know, to be married means to be together at functions and means to have maybe weekends off or whatever that looked like. I really had a lot of, (laughs) I was very naive just in a lot of ways, um, about that, what that would look like and what our life would look like. But bit by bit, we adjusted through that. And I began to really, um, acclimate to shift work and the lifestyle. Um, but then, about seven years in, he began um, pursuing his really lifelong dream of going into um, special tactics and SWAT and all the things. And so we worked really hard um, to get him there and get him prepared for that for a few years. And then he, he was um, accepted into that position. And that really um, upped the ante in our law enforcement experience of then going to a 24-7 call out um, schedule. So I'm a stay-at-home mom. So that has been, um, I would say, probably very helpful to our dynamic in that through the struggles that we've had through these years, um, I have been able to be very adaptable in my schedule. We also homeschool um, our two children. I do. So that also makes some of the things like the days that go by, you know, that we maybe don't see him having my children at home and some flexibility there has kind of eased um, and maybe taken off some of the the burden of um, this lifestyle in a way that I know maybe others don't experience. But for us, that has been something that um, has played a pretty pivotal role, I would say. I I definitely have a very supporting role in his his work. Um, I know with your husband being kind of that special niche, that um, tactics niche, um, it brings some extra variables and some extra experiences. And um, and obviously they go through extra training on how to handle um, situations that are a little bit more intense than maybe your average law enforcement. So I would love for us to kind of enter into that discussion um, and talk about, you know, I share in sacred spaces how I saw my husband change just even from deployment. Yes. But also just from being in the military now that we've been in for like a good 12 years or so. Um, I mean, we were even having a conversation on the back porch last night. He's getting ready to go back into his new job now that we've PCS and I can just sense in him, he's craving that order again, the structure, um, the, the language that you use at work and how precise that is and how um, even though the military, there's a lot of unexpected things that can happen. There's a certain way of doing things and I can see him kind of craving that again. Um, so what has been your experience of your spouse? Um, I don't think he was a law enforcement officer when you met. Is that correct or, or correct me if I'm wrong? No, you're correct. When, yeah, he wanted, he was always, he's always been pursuing, um, to some level. So it wasn't like he switched careers on me or said we were going to do this and then did something different. This has always been his game plan. But when I came into the picture, um, it was just still trying to, at the time, um, it was really hard to get hired and he was young too. And so, um, it, we went, there was a period of time when we were together, but he was, you know, just working odd jobs, just trying to apply and, and, get somewhere. But so he got hired, um, like I said, like about six months before we got married. So he got hired, went to the Academy and then we got married that summer. So, um, so really I knew him. I feel like I knew him well enough, like to be like, what's happening, you know, like when, but that's what is, it's hard in some ways to pick it all apart too, because like I put the emphasis on, I think anybody goes through some type of, deconstruction when they first get married of like, who are you? Like, I thought you were this or I thought, you know, but it, but it was overlapping. Like all of these changes and things are happening in his job and in his lifestyle. And 
we just got married. So it was kind of a lot coming at me at once. Well, and I know that you struggled with that even from the beginning a little bit. You struggled with seeing some of those changes and trying to find your place, right? Finding your place because in the law enforcement or the first responder community, there isn't a ton of support. It's not like the spouses are usually getting together, um, at least not everywhere. There's a few pockets that do that. But I know that that was something that you struggled with in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I I really approached this like it was you know, like working for UPS, like, you know, I don't know, like just something like, it's just a job, like, you know, it's something that you want to do and that's great, but, um, it's just a job, right? So it's not different. And so I, I just didn't, I just did not get off on the right foot when I think about it, because I just was never thinking it could be this, I I just did not approach it at all. Um, like it would be something, I thought we could be us and he could just have the job. And so when I started seeing things of like, even that camaraderie, well, it was threatening to me because I'm like, well, well, I'm, I'm a civilian. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't get it. And I'm not there. Like, what does that mean? And he would try to tell me like, well, no, no, like you're in it too. I'm like, I'm not in anything. And then I just started to feel almost threatened. Like, okay, like now you're having all these life experiences and, for me and my own securities as just a person, I started thinking you're growing away from me because I can't go experience these things. And you're experiencing really weird stuff that like you can come home and share it with me, but it's not the same. And so what's that going to mean for us? And, you know, like we talked about before, like little subtle things, like just reading all the license plates all the time. I'm like, stop doing that. What are you doing? Like, stop. Like, Marvin, like, <laughs> I don't care that their registration's expired. And, but I look back on it now and I feel bad. I was so mean to him. Like, I was just so like, stop it and leave work at work and blah, blah. Like, and now I look back and I'm like, that poor kid, he was trying to learn like how to recognize those things. He was trying to apply himself in a way that he has to be hypervigilant when he's at work. Mm -hmm. And so he's practicing or he's trying to, you know, just get his mind working a different way, something that's being in some ways demanded of him at work. And now I'm demanding that he just be normal. And, and, you know, at that time I had never even heard the term hypervigilance. So then I also was like, Hey, we're newly married. How come all you want to do is sleep? Like, how come I can't talk to you in Mm -hmm. 10 minutes? You're just dead to the world, you know? And Mm -hmm. because I just never approached any of that with like, Hey, this might be somewhat par for the course, or this, this is a lifestyle. This isn't a job. Like, you know, this is something that will envelop and shape your family. Um, I just really wasn't supportive though. I, if you would have asked me, I would have wanted to be, but I didn't know I needed to be. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the changes that you, you saw specifically, and we'll kind of just talk out some of the changes that we also hear from the community, right? That um, listeners might go, yeah, that's, I've seen my spouse do that or that. So you mentioned one, which is hypervigilance. Those of you who don't know that word, it's kind of that um, seeing them, their eyes dart to and fro, they're looking in the room, that whole idea of, I got to have my back to the wall where I can see the door, like scanning the room. It's just kind of hyper aware, right? So, and, and Sarah's right. That can be extremely exhausting. So for example, we're getting to experience that during COVID, um, more than any of us have ever experienced that. Right. So here in Texas, starting actually today, or maybe it was yesterday, like you can't even walk into a business if you don't have a mask on, but you, you kind of sense around you, like suddenly you, you can feel when somebody is less than six feet, 
from you. You can, your eyes are looking around the room. Who's wearing a mask? Who's not wearing a mask? Are those children wearing masks? What do they touch? Like you just find yourself taking in sensory wise so much more information than maybe you ever did before. And maybe you leave that store or you get home from even just grocery shopping and you just find yourself exhausted. It's because you've got all of your senses like on overdrive trying to collect as much information as possible. And that, that can make you extremely weary. So that is definitely one of those things, whether you're a military or first responder that um, definitely can change if you have not been aware. And then suddenly you're taught to be aware. It's not something you can just turn off or turn on depending on your surroundings. Although some people can turn it down, like turning the volume down. And that's, um, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Like what, what, what of these things do we feel like we can actually ask our spouse to say, Hey, let's leave that at work versus which things we need to be a little more graceful about to say that may be really hard for you to change about. Maybe that's you now, like you've evolved as a person to incorporate some of these changes and it's a little bit more of an area of grace. So Sarah, what are some other things that maybe you noticed or you've seen or talked with others that have, that they've noticed? So I'll tell you one of the ones that was really strange to me, um, again, and it's an interesting time because we were in our early twenties when we were experiencing these things. So didn't have a whole lot of communication tools where I, we were insightful to some degree of, in, in a little bit of self-awareness there, but not certainly not to the level where I feel like we are now. And so we were in, um, a small group, um, with, and we were oftentimes as was the case in our early twenties being newly married, you kind of like hit this weird pocket where it's like some of your friends are single or they're engaged or, you know, they're just kind of, um, still living a life that you're kind of moving out of because now you're married, but then you don't have necessarily the full family. So you struggle to fit in with maybe the couples that have young children because your life hasn't been <laughs> rocked by that revelation. And so we started like always kind of being with older couples that were um, probably almost our parents' age. They were probably like they had at least. 15 to 20 years on us because they were more free because their children were older and things like that. And I remember, I don't even remember what was being discussed, but I remember after everyone left, uh, my husband saying something like about someone who had made a comment, which I, and I really don't even remember the context of it, but what I took away from it, I thought it was so strange is he was like, he just doesn't even know. He doesn't even know what the world's like. He doesn't even know. Like, and I was like, where is this coming from? Like he's, in his forties. Like, like, of course he knows, like, you know what I mean? Like he knows more than us. We're in our twenties. What do you know? Like that he doesn't know. And <laughs> it turns out it's a lot like, and I think if it was him. I think when I look back at just who we are and now I know Kenny so much better. And I think it was him. He, he had only worked for maybe a year. I think he was him trying to work through that. Like, Holy cow. Like I am seeing a different side of the world and it is changing my perspective and it is things that I didn't know existed do. And so some of the menial stuff that people talk about is just that it's menial, right. And it's trivial and they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't even know, like, you know, like that whole kind of thing. And he was just working through it is now that I see it as that, but, but back then I was just so self-absorbed. I'm just like, gosh, why can't we just have friends? Like, like tone it down. Like I just was so like, <laughs> like not compassionate at all to that poor man. But that's, but Sarah, that's a really interesting point. Like, why can't we just have friends when, when, what I would say that you're describing is, I mean, this is an extreme, um, description of it, but because so many people listening, their spouses, um, 
or if you are a service member or a first responder that's listening to this, because I know we have those of you that are listening, it's kind of waking up to the evil of the world. Like you really get to see what humanity is capable of doing to each other or how we're capable of treating each other with less filter, whether that's due to mental illness or whether it's because um, they're going through difficult um, family situations and you're responding to a domestic violence call. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why humans aren't at their 100%, you know, or why you find your paths crossing with them. Or maybe it's just an, an automobile accident, right? And you're being exposed to things that the normal civilian would just bypass or say, I'm going to let the first responders deal with that, right? You're dealing with not only what the worst of humanity can do to each other intentionally, but also accidentally. And that is, definitely what our service members experience too, and in a different way, kind of set apart in a different world on deployment. Um, but that can really uh, make some dramatic shifts in you because you, you're kind of suddenly looking around you in a small group, like you just described, and you're going, wow, nobody else is experiencing this but me, right? And then what I see is that you start to have this internal conflict of how do I connect and who do I connect with and how do I connect with somebody who does not get it? Um, how, what kind of conversations are we supposed to have when I saw somebody um, lying dead on the road, right? From responding to a traffic accident. And now I got to go have a small group discussion where we're having bowls of chili, right? Around everybody and talking <laughs> about surface related, like what did you do for summer vacation or where did you go out to eat last? you know, it's just different kinds of conversation than what you just had two hours ago, right? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, it, it's hard because so I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm sitting here thinking and I'm like, you know, yeah, that's exactly what he was experiencing. And it's funny because fast forward 12 years and I think very similarly, though I don't, I'm not directly like I don't come face to face with the evil that my husband sees. But like it comes to my front door, it comes through my front door, like the, the effects of it does. Sure. And so I, you know, in the beginning, he was trying to tell me you are different. You're not just like a civilian. And I couldn't believe it because I'm like, well, I'm not seeing it. I don't get it. But now when I look to where I am now, I'm like, I feel very similar in a lot of ways. I feel like there's this vast majority that gets, gets the privilege for lack of a better word to pretend like evil doesn't exist. And when you live in a life where you think that people are inherently good, like you, that's way different from when you live in a different life where you see where the, I would say the lie would then become like, nobody's very good. Like, you know, cause it can, it can kind of shift it that way. That that's, you know, that that's not the right point of view, but I'm saying like, that's the temptation, right? Because all you're surrounded with is negative interaction, negative interaction, you know? And if you let that form your reality fully, that is what it can look like is that who is good, you know, is becomes more of the question. Whereas I feel right. like, let's so talk about that. Let's talk about that. Because what you're, what you're describing is cynicism, right? right? And that's very, very common in both cultures. So it's the cynicism that you go from this place where the world is good. People are good. It can be how people treat each other on the workforce or in the job. So cynicism can happen in a lot of different ways, but when you combine all of that together, right, you experience, um, especially when you're young, we have so many people that join the military or the police force young, like 20, right? And that's when you're first waking up to the world outside of high school even. And so then you're exposed to 
to what humanity can do to each other. And then if you have toxic leadership on top of that, then the job is not quite what you wanted it to be. Then like maybe marriage is harder than you thought it would be. It All of that can introduce the cynicism and you go from where you started was humanity is ultimately good and I want to be part of the goodness of humanity to this place that humanity is bad or I have to always expect the worst side of people or um, just kind of this underlying, I don't believe you, I don't trust you unless you prove me otherwise. Yeah. And I feel like all the things you just described were all the things we went through because we were 20, I was 22 when we got married and Kenny was 21 when he got hired. So yeah, like our first perspective, just stepping really outside the bounds of high school and college, you know, we talked about this in, um, season four of like, you know, let's, you know, join together and change the world. Like, you know, I loved his servant heart. Like he wanted to become a cop, not because he hates everybody because he wanted to help. He, he felt this call in him that this, this desire to stand in that gap and to defend innocent people and to want to help people, um, against people or again, well, I don't want to say against people, but against the concept of those who are, can be selfish and hurt others out of that selfishness. But he wanted to, it was, it was a desire to help those who could potentially be victimized, who could, you know, who it, it wasn't ever about, you know, um, I don't know. I want to say it wasn't ever about writing tickets. Like, but it wasn't like, it wasn't about like, I just want to drive in a fast car. Like it wasn't like that. It was, it was this deep desire to stand for what was right, to help those who maybe couldn't, wouldn't, or didn't want to help themselves like, and, and be that person. And again, I'm looking back at our personalities, who we were then. I also have a desire to help people from a way different perspective. Like it's like all the empathy and the feelings. And I just want you to feel understood and loved and, you know, and all these things. And they, there was such an attraction between the two of us because of us having those things, the other, you know, they're kind of synced up in the same mission, but then us coming into the world and turns out marriage is disappointing. Turns out <laughs> this mm-hmm. life is, you know, everything was just kind of like, you know, this is it, you know? And so just experiencing all those things at the same time. And yeah, the cynicism is what I started to see. And so all that was doing was I was just, I blamed everything on the job. Like I thought, well, you were this way and now you're this way. When some of it, I do think we were, I mean, you're 22, you're not going to stay the same. You're not going to, you're, you're, that's part of being married is you got to grow together. You can't, ex- it, honestly, I would argue that if you do stay the same, like you're stunted and you're probably not maturing and your relationship is probably stagnant. Like, so you need to grow and move forward. So that's going to involve growing pains. So some of it was, just us having to learn all those things simultaneously and sift them all out and reconcile them. Well, I think the cynicism is also coming from a place of um, helplessness or hopelessness because I, like you said, so many people get into the service profession because they believe in, in, right versus wrong, good versus evil, and wanting to be on the good side of that. And they're wanting to make an impact and and make a difference in someone's life. And so I think the cynicism comes into play when you start to feel like no matter how much good you're doing in the world, 
you don't feel like you're making a dent. Why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard? Why am I exposing myself to so much if I'm not making a difference or the difference that I thought that I was going to make? I think that everybody answers that question in a different way. Some people might stay put and just find themselves staying cynical or even going into a depression. Um, Whereas some people, I think maybe up the ante right? Like maybe it's, I don't know if your husband went into SWAT for that reason, but you just find yourself unfulfilled or not doing, um, making quite the dent that you want to make. And so you want to be a part of something more. So I don't know, I'd have to talk to your husband or talk to some of the, especially special forces and see, um, how many are actually trying to make that difference versus it being something that's built within them to be, which I think is probably more the answer of wanting to be the best of the best of the best. And that's where they want to align themselves and then do all of the things that come with being part of the best of the best. So, but cynicism is definitely one of those things that you hear a lot of couples struggling with, because like you said, especially if you're entering into this lifestyle as a couple, we're going to be a part of bringing good to the world or being on the good side of things. And then that cynicism can rob you of the joy of why you got in in the first place. Yeah, it's true. And so then I would say coupled with cynicism comes dark humor, which is- Yes. Yes. Talk about that. Oh, well, um, it's hard. It's jarring to me. And it, it depends. I mean, maybe it, it, this could maybe be um, couple to couple, person to person. Like maybe there are dynamics where both people plunge into dark humor and they're fine with it. Um, but for me, it was very jarring. It was very mm-hmm. like, just what you're laughing at what? Like, you know, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I guess it took my kind of empathetic side to kind of step in and say, well, what happens if they don't laugh? Like what happens if they just let it absorb into them? Like, which is what you want them to do, right? Like you want them like, oh, like you can't laugh about that. Like that's so inappropriate. Or like, how can you, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, just ingest or in passing say things like that. Um, And it it was just shocking. And it was really hard not to judge it. Like just to be honest and be like, oh my, like what's happening to you? And, but when I started seeing it more as like a coping mechanism and like what would happen if that went away? I, it, it, that helped, but it was, there's still sometimes where I'm like, okay, like just, I can't hear some of it. Like I can hear a little bit of it, but sometimes it can go too far. And I'm like, okay, now you're just, that's too much. So you got to tone it down a notch. Just know, know your audience, know who you're talking to. And that is just, and like, I especially feel like when I would take him into small groups or whatever, and that dark humor kind of comes out and people just who have never had a brush with it. I think it's just very <laughs> jarring, you know? And, and so I'm like nervously trying to fill in the gaps and like laughing, like, ha ha, like he's kidding. Like, you know, like I'm trying to like <laughs> make up it for over, it, you know, cause I'm like, you can't just say that out loud and people not think crazy things, you know? So, you know, um, okay. So first of all, after 21 years of being married, there's been times that there's been so many times that I've wanted to jump and say something because I felt like what Matt said was harsh or ill-timed or maybe not for the right audience or whatever. And then I hear later, like, man, when he said that, that was the most impactful moment of the whole talk. And I'm like, really? Cause I <laughs> wanted to stop it. Like, yeah. So, but I want to, um, actually put in a plug right now. There's an, a fantastic book. You probably going to have to get on 
on Amazon. It's probably not going to be at Barnes and Noble, but there is a great book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, a guide for officers and their families. It's by Kevin Gilmartin. He's a PhD and it is a small but fantastic book about explaining this experience for um, officers and their experience of going through that cynicism, that hypervigilance, and how do you come home and um, bring some sort of stability because he, he talks about the hypervigilance biological roller coaster, which is, I think, what Sarah is describing, where on duty, he says that on duty, most first responders are experiencing these feelings of being alive and alert and energetic and involved and humorous. That's that dark humor that Sarah is talking about. Um, and a lot of that being alert is that hypervigilance and just constantly aware of your surroundings. And then you can imagine just all those adjectives are very, um, you can just imagine how much energy it takes to be on this high on your job, on duty, being alive, alert, energetic, involved in your surroundings and humorous at the same time in order to cope with it. And then what he found is that when they would come home, they would find themselves the opposite of that. It's like they would crash. And that's what I hear from a lot of support spouses that are saying, well, he comes home and he crashes or he goes and watches a movie for two hours to decompress. And so he describes them being that opposite, which is tired, detached, isolated, and apathetic instead of humorous when they get home. And so you see either these two opposite experiences of your spouse, or like Sarah's saying, kind of a little bit of what we're talking about today is you might see some of that um, alive alertness, dark humor, whatever kind of bleeding into the family, because who am I supposed to be? And am I supposed to be two different people or do I bring it home? And if I bring it home, will they get it? Right. And so what he does in this book, um, he does a great job of normalizing those experiences that they're having as a cop, but also helping them see, you know, the goal here is not that you become an entirely different person when you come home. Like we've got to figure out how to smooth out, <laughs> flatten the curve, right? <laughs> flatten <laughs> yeah. the curve. Um, so it's not quite as much of a roller coaster. So maybe Sarah, a good approach that we could do in our conversation is what it, what somebody might experience if their um, service spouse is bringing some of that culture into the home and, um, and they're trying to be that same person because there's some things that they also become in being a law enforcement officer. We can apply this to the military as well. Um, that is, is beneficial to their character, right? Like in the military, it's very easy, I feel like, to label that because it's the the core values behind the military, right? Like they take loyalty very seriously, responsibility, duty, respect, um, all of those things that are those core values become a little bit more a part of their character. And those are the things that we would want to have them keep when they come home, right? But those things like cynicism or the hypervigilance when you're just trying to go on a date night or like that can be more difficult. Is there any other ways that you've seen your spouse or someone else change that was really dramatic compared to who they were before? I mean, I could touch on driving, but I know that driving can also be a contingent for almost any average married couple. Like there's always some kind of, I feel like most people I talk to can have like the driving, like who's going to drive and that kind of issue. But I do feel like for us, that has been a pretty big one because he drives so much. And I um, was in a pretty bad accident uh, right before we started dating. And so from then on, I just am such a grandma, like super like nervous Nelly, like drive very cautiously, like can't see well at night. Like I just am very 
like slow. And so when we're in, you know, the family minivan and we miss the turn and we take some kind of tactical move to get back on course, it stresses me out. It, it really, and it pisses me off to be quite honest with you, because my kids are in the back and stop driving like that. And can't you just be normal? Like, I feel like sometimes that's the expectation I have on him is like, just stop it. Like, just stop and turn yeah, it off. You know? off. And so, no, I get that. Yeah, I get so, that. My my father-in-law is like that. Like ever since I've known, he's a retired police officer and like, oh, I'd get so carsick in the back driving with him because he's still, even though he's been retired for like, oh man, more than a decade, probably two decades, you know, he's still driving like a cop. And it wasn't until we were headed um, up north for a wedding and we needed to make kind of an invasive maneuver. Like time was of the essence. Like we hit so much traffic and we were going to be late. And, and so I was like, go right there. We need that turn. And he like, whipped it in like to put us in this little tiny tight spot perfectly he did it so well I would have done it I would have knocked out you know five cars like he, he just <laughs> had control and that's when I was like oh it was like eye-opening to me because I wasn't trusting his skill set not that that means mm. that he should drive like that all the time there is somewhere to to you know meet in the middle with that but so much of it why it was such a point of contention is because every time I'm bristling and smacking the door and you know pump stomping my foot on the ground like you know doing all this stuff and just acting like we're gonna die at every turn it's just saying to him you don't trust me you don't trust me you don't, mm. you know and I'm just saying to him like you don't care about us like you're just thinking what are you doing like get your head in the game like I don't care about the drug deal going down at the gas station. Stop looking over there. Like we're in the van, like, you know, or whatever. And so when he did that move and I, then I was like, oh, that's right. He really does have a skill set, and he really does pull these things off. Not haphazardly on a whim. Like I would do if I tried to do some crazy evasive maneuver, like he actually knows how to do them. And so he doesn't feel like he's endangering us because he feels in control. I feel like oh. the situation's out of control, but he feels in control. Such a great point. Uh, you know, I think the only other thing that I can add that I hear that I've experienced or that I've heard from other people, you know, we call it, we jokingly call it the command hand. It's like a knife hand, you know, yeah. that I hear from so many people like he's talking to the kids like, like they're soldiers. I mean, this is, this is so funny to me because I value it now. Kind of same thing what you're saying, Sarah, but I remember I was having a work problem when I, back when I was part of a group practice and I was just having a hard time. I was trying to introduce the group practice into some new ways of reaching out to military families. And I had a meeting coming up where I was supposed to kind of share some of my ideas. And, and Matt's like, well, did you create a proposal? And I'm like, well, no, I'm just going to go in there and just talk about it. And he's like, that's not what you do. He's like, you do option a, like course of action, a course of action, B course of action, you know, and then all these like breakdown of like, he would, what he would do for a military report. And I just was like, I, I, I can't do that. I can't like, even my brain is not even prepared to think like that. But you know, once he sat down and shared it with me and then I kind of wrote it out, I was like, oh, this makes actually a lot of sense. This was actually really helpful to kind of bring it all together, you know? And so there's a lot of structure like, and strategic thinking that goes into the way that the military runs and regulations on, I mean, even down to, it used to drive him crazy. If I gave him, um, something that I had written for him to edit for me or kind of read over and get his thoughts on it. Like his, his eyes and his brain did not want to read it unless it was like in Arial 11 point font. Mm -hmm. Those are some humorous examples, but there's some, some very real things that I know a lot of you guys experience out there with um, changes in the way that somebody's talking or communicating, or maybe they're done with communicating because they've used all their words for the day and they come home and they just really check out. So there's definitely some, um, or that exhaustion 
exhaustion that we talked about, where if they're unplugging, you know, I do hear from a lot of you guys that they come home and they play video games and they really check out. I've even heard some very extreme examples of betrayal that's happened digitally or through those video games because they're connecting to other soldiers. You know, Sarah, you brought up a really great point, which is um, these things that you saw that needed to be very black and white that were you know, why can't you put that away or why can't you just turn it off? But yet in a moment when you actually really needed it, that you saw value in it. Yeah. And that, I think that would be the key, like is, you know, it it felt like all this exposure to all these things in those first years. And now as we've like sifted through and sifted through and just that whole concept of turning like, okay, like he is, I need him. Like, you know, I, and I don't need him to be like me. Like we don't need two of me running around here. And so, you know, but my mind continues to expand on ways that I don't realize that I want him to be like me. And then I see him be him and I'm like, well, we needed that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like he is trained and he is competent and, um, it does make me uncomfortable at times because it's not, it's pushing me like to, you know, to a limit, but I feel like, you know, navigating some of those comes just from changing your perspective on them, um, which can be hard to do. It is, is very hard to do at times when it's really frustrating, or maybe you've had this conversation for the 50th time. And it's like, why can't you just rein it in? And, you know, um, if we miss the turn, just go up to the next, you know, corner, like, in the ways that we've been successful in the, in the past few years has really come from me being, okay, what is he bringing that is good? And what do I, what do I need from that? Like, and that, what am I, and if I am upset, what am I trying to demand of him? And is that reasonable? You know, another one with the hypervigilance, you know, I used to always take direct insults to that. Like, why can't you pay attention to me? Look at me when I'm talking to you, like, you know, and I don't feel connected to you. Um, we, we spent all this money on a sitter. We did all this stuff to go out just so your eyes can scan the whole room. And I used to be really upset and resentful about that. And now it's just more about, you know what? I just want to connect with you and going downtown and sitting outside is not the way to do it. Like, and that's, that's all right. Like I'm not upset about it anymore. I just want you to connect with me. So if you feel better on a hike in the middle of the woods, perfect. Like that's what we'll do because I just want you, you know, I used to, um, sing with, um, abandoned on 4th of July, we would be downtown and it's kind of funny, like in comical, but it would upset me at the time. It's like, we would be, I would be singing like with this band and, you know, of course there's large crowds and all of everybody else, all their husbands or whomever super supportive, you know, my parents are down there, everybody's, you know, clapping and cheering and encouraging. And my husband has got his back like against a wall, just scanning the crowd, literally looking like my bodyguard. Like he looks like <laughs> my security. And I'm like, why can't you just have fun? Like, why can't you just be happy to be down here you don't seem like you even enjoy this like because you're just scanning the crowd because the sun is going down you know kind of thing and so um I just kind of had to learn like you said not take some of the personal responsibility of what others might perceive that as and then also just let him be who he is and just understand that I can't my expectations just can't be so high. Like if I'm, what I'm wanting is for him to connect with me, then that's unfair. Like to just put him in a situation where he's not going to be comfortable and then be mad at him because he can't look at me for more than two seconds. No. And what a gift, right. That he was giving to that entire crowd. I definitely 
get a lot of questions from couples within that community because they're it's kind of the extreme couple. It's the spouse that, like I said before, wants to be part of the best and be of the best. Then again, the best within the best, right? And so even when you get into that circle, then I see a lot of service spouses that are like striving to be at the top. Um, and that's a great thing. You're, I think from a strengths perspective, we are built with that. I see um, within these special forces communities, usually they have significance in their top five. They have competition, um, maximizer, um, self-assurance, just these strengths that are like when I, when I feel on a gut level that I'm right, I usually am. And I'm going to make sure everybody knows it, that that competitive drive to strive and to see who's the best and then how do I beat them? Significance, um, that strength is usually a lot about being a part of something that matters. Like I don't want to just be part of the normal group of first responders or the normal group within the military. I want to be a part of the group that really matters, right? And doing something that really matters. And that's a strength. This is a good thing. This is a good thing that your spouse is probably created to do. And so usually I hear from couples in that community. And by the way, somebody who has that set of strengths typically marries a spouse who's also very strong themselves, whether they're strong-willed or they have strengths that are um, really established or they're really good at something. Um, because you need to rely on somebody to be able to hold down the home front, to be able to make decisions. Um, they just usually are attracted to people who are equally somehow self-assured, even if it's from an empath side, even if it's on the warm, nurturing side, but that you're just really sure about your relationships and how to work those relationships around you, especially like kids. So when I get these couples and they're starting to struggle, it usually is because, you know, their spouse... Um, is in this special niche. And, but I hear spouses, support spouses say, he does this job and he's qualifying all the time. And he's using his weapon all the time. And his job is to take people out, right? But then he comes home and when he gets stressed out, he wants to go shoot squirrels, right? Or he wants to go hunt or they just unplug or they seem to be struggling with that empath side, the really warm side. You know, yes, we need to talk about healthy communication. Yes, we need to talk about how we actually connect and how do we best create the environment to connect, like you're saying, Sarah. But there's also this like middle ground, this gray, messy area of accepting each other. And I have to sometimes ask the supporting spouse, you do realize who you married, right? You married a warrior. This is a warrior. This is somebody who is kind of built for this community or built for this job or was attracted to this job because it, it just is a right fit for them. And, and then we get married. And then especially when we have kids, right? Because our empath, warm, nurturing, relational side is going crazy because suddenly this warrior is coming home and they're not fitting into the relational thing that's happening at home because they're a warrior, right? And it brings up these questions like, when do I ask them to turn it off? Or when do I embrace the warrior? So Sarah, I really want to know what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned the strengths, so my husband has significance and self-assurance um, are in his top five. And self-assurance <laughs> is like my number 31. I just don't operate out of what he operates out of. And so I feel like for me, I don't know. It could be this really obscure kind of question of where are we allowing, um, what is defining our idea of what a husband should be, of what maybe a man should be, um, 
what's acceptable and what's not. I think that's why I like strength finders because it really speaks to different types of people built for different things. The diversity across the board that you can't really put people in just, you know, two boxes of like, well, all females act like this and all males act like this, or, you know, this is what this marriage, a a good marriage is gender, you know, stereotypical roles, like you grill and I'll cook and, you know, all that kind of stuff is like, when you start really looking at people as like people and that they were fashioned to do something as an individual. And then when you look at your marriage as a team and that, of course, you're not going to, you don't need two of the same to form a team. Like you need people with various strengths to round you out that I feel like that these particular traits, especially exhibited in men, because I, mm-hmm. you, I feel like you're more well-versed in like, I don't know how, not very many women I know that have done strengths finder, um, are like really high in maybe self-assurance. I don't know. Maybe there are some out there, but I'm just saying like, when you see these traits and they're being uh, manifested in a man, it is kind of, it feels like it's not right. Like it's, it's certainly, it's not celebrated. And like, are you barbaric? Like, are you all of these horrible things that maybe somewhere I picked up that if someone is willing to stand up and, and is the one there it's, it is, it's unfair to say, it makes me think of this one time early on, uh, when Kenny, Kenny works in a County that is uh, very fluent. It's actually, I think like the second richest County, we don't live there. <laughs> it's actually the second richest County, I think in the United States at one point, cause we are, um, just where our location is, but that's again, why we don't live there. Cause you don't, we don't see that side of the money. He just works with people that are, you know, in that area. And one lady said to him in a very affluent area, she said, I don't like to see police. I don't like to see them around because I I just want to pretend like you don't exist because if I can pretend like you don't exist, then I don't have to think about what she was saying. It's if I can pretend like you don't exist, I don't have to think about that bad exists, right? Because your sheer presence tells me that bad exists. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what we do even with these types, these like warrior minded types. We we say we, we can recognize that, okay, there is a need. I want someone to run into the building, right? When everybody's running away, I, we need that. I need someone to protect me. You know, we're like, protect me, protect me. Well, in order for the capacity for someone to do those things, they have to be these things. And so it is unfair to say, well, be abnormal in the sense that you'll run towards danger rather than away, but then be the normal stereotype of like, sit down and, you know, hear all my feelings all the time, or, or just intuitively know what we all need. And, you know, just all these things that are so, I don't want to say anti them, but aren't the things that are being elevated in their personality. And because of that, that's why they can do what they do. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I love that you said that because, I mean, I, I know that, that was the huge thing behind Sacred Spaces for me and that story was that I realized that I was expecting him to be everything. I was expecting him to go and do his job and be amazing at his job. And then I, I was expecting him to put that away and come home and to be amazing at home too. And I know if he would have expected that of me, it's too much. It's too much for any person. And so being able to see your spouse as somebody who is created to do something fantastic. And then, like you said, the strengths is fantastic for being able to go. You have a set of strengths that you might be 
you know, a better fit in these circumstances. So, you know, Kenny probably comes to life, like you said, when he needs to do that tactical move with a car, when he needs to get you to a place where it's safe and it is the right time, you know, and, and that you're on time or to respond when there is a situation happening in the world around you and you might get paralyzed, but he just kind of steps in, turns on and goes, right? Cause he's made to do that and do it well, just the same as, Yes, you're right. For a lot of support spouses, if you're at home, even if you have a job, um, you know, Gallup Strength Finder would say that there's a variety of strengths for across the board for men and women, and it kind of equals out for the most part. But I would say within the military and first responder community, it does tend to be women being a little bit more empathic and men being a little bit more strategic, logical. And again, I would say it's because that's you're attracted. You're already like that. It's not that the military or the first responder community has turned you into that. You've always been that. You've been attracted to this lifestyle for that reason, because it, your values line up. It's very black and white. It's regulated. It's strategic. It's all those things. And so you kind of gravitate into this lifestyle. And then I think it makes you more of who you are. Now, like I won't go down this rabbit hole. This is for another episode, another time. But your strengths that I often call superpowers because I use it like superheroes, um, <clears throat> you can be either the superhero version of yourself and use your strengths for good, or you can be the villain that's using your superpowers for selfish gain and for um, and, in, and in hurtful ways. So yes, some of those strengths, if you're using them at home at the wrong times, I think can cause destruction in your home, right? So we, while we laugh at this knife hand or command hand or talking to your kids like soldiers, you know, that is really good for a situation where it, things are chaotic. Talking to the moms out there who, you know, if you haven't noticed as a woman, when you try to get angry and you're trying to get your kids' attention, you just look crazy. I am convinced, mm -hmm. as, yes. right? We just look crazy when we get mad, right? And then you start trying to fuss at everybody and they're half listening and you try to lower and deepen your voice so you can sound more maybe like your husband trying to command their attention and like maybe it half works or three quarters of the way works. And then your husband walks in and does his command hand, right? Does his knife hand and puts everything everybody in order and they snap too, right? I used to hate that when my kids were small. I'm like, it's not there. Yes. You know, yeah. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, but here's the thing. We have different strengths. And so when you start to see that your spouse is built for some things that are, or they're more beneficial for some settings more than others, then you start to see that within yourself too, that you're not created for every situation perfectly either. And then I think we can exist in the gray a little bit more gracefully. Yeah, it's true. Because even going back to what you were saying, um, using the concert as the example, like when we were downtown, there was a time when I looked at that and I, I didn't feel like he was loving at all. Like, I felt like this is what I need for you. I need you to be affirming or like, seem interested or, you know, these are the things I need to feel this way. And what I didn't see was you're right. Like what a gift. And I, and I definitely can see that now much more than I could back then when that was occurring, but yeah, he's giving this gift. He is giving the best version of himself. And at the end of the day, many people admit it that, you know, jokingly, but they're like, I want to, if something's going down, I want to be at Kenny's house or I want to be around Kenny. Like, <laughs> you know, everybody like shelters under him. Well, what a great privilege that I have. Like, actually, he is, he is my bodyguard. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, he is mine all the time. And so, um, you know, it is like just changing the way you see it, you know, because it really can come across like what, you know, just asking yourself, what am I 
what's my expectation here? And is it, is it a reasonable one? And, you know, it's true when they learn to, when we can know that, you know, there is a time for my more relational, you know, I am, I'm long-winded and, you know, relational and let's talk about all the stuff. And, you know, sometimes Kenny has more of like direct, concise speech. He like, you know, command is in his top 10 as well. And Mm -hmm. he just gets it done. And it is frustrating at some point. I think oftentimes where I get frustrated is now I see that he has it. And then when he's gone for 20 days, I'm like, get back here and do some commanding. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) I'm losing my mind and I am, I'm trying to make myself look intimidating. And I just look like a crazy, like I'm like in my throat hurts because I'm trying to lower my voice, like 10 decibels trying to be intimidating, you know? And so somebody will take me seriously around here. <laughs> so it's true. Like if anything, I get upset because I need his strength and it's not here, but you know, there would have been a time where I think we, I don't know, maybe we all do it to some degree of be like me. I'm the better way. And then you oh. see like, no, no, that's not true at all. It's so funny. Cause I, I had forgotten that he had command in his top five. So you're so right. Um, so really quickly let's, um, cover, cause this could be a whole episode and I probably need to do a whole episode on boundaries, but I'm writing a book on it instead. So it'd be a really long episode, but the point is, is what do you, what would you say, Sarah, to somebody who's listening, who, um, yes, they maybe are grateful for the things, the strengths that they bring to the marriage, but maybe there's some boundaries that need to be set. Maybe there are some things that do feel a little bit more destructive what would you say to somebody on when do you and how do you ask your spouse to actually make some of those changes and maybe turn something off or push something down? Like maybe give some examples of when you think it's a good time to ask your spouse to put something away. Hmm. I feel like any time that I'm trying to think of an, a, an exact like example. I'm like, okay, we need that turned down a notch. Um, I don't know because I have restored it. So I tend to just see like all the stuff that I can do like to change stuff. Like I'll just do this to fix this. Like, I'll just not ask you to go downtown. Like, and then that way problem solved. Like now you don't have to work so hard about it. But the key to success, I think in any good, healthy conversation is to start on a good point, like to come at um, when we believe the best about our spouse, when we believe, Hey, these are strengths, they're not something that you need to fix. It's just something that might not be appropriate for this situation or for the situation that we're going into. Um, that when you speak out of a place of like, I believe the best out of you, you can communicate so much better than when you're trying to believe the best in them. But really you just, if you were really honest, you're thinking, just stop being that way. Just stop, you know, then right out the gate, your communication is going to be wrong and how you approach it. Um, so I think that perspective shift first of saying, okay, this isn't a bad thing. It's just not appropriate right here. And, and even saying that like, Hey, like I love, you know, this part about you, but in this particular situation, you know, like I, I want to connect with you. What would be the best way to do that so that you don't quite feel like, you need to be so on guard. Like what would be, if you're looking to get away and connect, acknowledging that to your spouse, because you know what? I don't know. I don't think everybody is like us. I think there are plenty of, um, you know, law enforcement or first responder families that enjoy like being in the city and things like that. And, um, so maybe it's not, 
like cut and dry to just say, well, avoid crowds or, you know, maybe I think that is, you know, for a majority of them, I think they would agree with it, but maybe that's not the case for everyone. But if that were, if you were in a scenario where you want to connect and you, you can see like, I'm so thankful that you want to protect me. And I'm so thankful that that's how you are when I'm around you. But what situation can we get ourselves in that would make you feel at ease so that you don't have to do that? Because I just want to connect with you, you know, kind of voicing like, this is what I'm looking for. And you know, maybe you can tell me what would be helpful because again, with their strengths, I think it's kind of hard sometimes to see that we're maybe setting them up for for failure in a situation because it's naturally, it doesn't bother us, whatever that may be. And so kind of asking them like, what do you need from the situation or how, you know, in that particular case, like what would make you feel like you don't have to be quite so Mm hypervigilant and kind of coming at it from that. But I think like the big, like the game changer is to really sit down and look and start with the beginning, which is believing the best out of someone. And even if it seems like the worst, like I would have said, like, I felt like he was giving me the worst. Like he couldn't even turn it off just to be like an adoring husband or just to be a present husband. He was giving me his best. When I start with the fundamental truth of we are trying to give our best to each other, even if it doesn't feel like that. So how do we fix it? That already gets you off on the right foot rather than just being like, you're never this. Why can't you just be this or, you know, or whatever, when you're kind of thinking in that mindset. I honestly can't think of a better way to answer that because there's a lot of caveats and you're probably listening out there wondering, well, yeah, but you're not in my marriage or you're not in my home. And yes, I'm sure that there are some very extreme caveats out there of if somebody is being uh, maybe verbally destructive towards you. I mean, I mean, we could bring up another episode could be the use of foul language. Like I hear that all the time. Like it can feel really rough. And there's times where you set boundaries in your relationship to go, Hey, I need you to do better at turning that down. Or you seem really upset. You're cussing at me. It's not something I'm comfortable with. I'm going to call a timeout and let us both just kind of take a break and walk away and come back to this conversation in a minute. And there might be more of a use for boundaries and timeouts in that way. But honestly, I could not end this episode any better than what Sarah just said, which is um, starting from the place of assuming that your spouse is bringing their best to you first. And if you can start with that mindset, it just de-escalates the whole situation because you suddenly realize that your spouse isn't trying to hurt you. Your spouse isn't trying to hurt the kids um, verbally or with how direct that they might be being or how, what they're bringing home from work. And, and guess what? This applies to you too, because your spouse is experiencing you thinking you're maybe not bringing your best, right? That you're being overly emotional or you seem all over the place or you're, you're expectations or do I, whatever it is that you've heard your spouse say a million times, right? But if we can start with that place of, of believing that your spouse is doing their best and trying to bring their best, and that's the value of strength finder is getting to know your strengths and realizing that it's how and when we use them that's important. How can we push them down? How can we leverage something else instead? How can we lean on our spouse's strengths instead of trying to use ours 24-7? All of those things that you can learn by taking turns and leaning on each other instead of both of you trying to be 100% perfect or amazing all of the time. So Sarah, honestly, I could not have, I could have not thought of a better way to end that. And I'm so glad that you said that. 
Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I honestly could spend hours with you. There's a lot in our culture, just in general, there's a lot in our culture where, where we have expectations in our marriage that just are impossible. And so thank you for modeling in your marriage, at least trying to at this stage of your life to say, I'm not perfect. My spouse is not perfect. I'm going to choose to believe that they're bringing the best. Well, thank you for having me. I always love talking to you too. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you're feeling especially grateful, head on over to patreon.com forward slash lifegiver or find the link in today's show notes where for just a couple of dollars, you can help breathe life into more service families. If you'd like more information about me or LifeGiver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.